0: Hi, this is Alana Terry and you are listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. I'm really glad you joined us for Season 4. We are streaming daily chapters from full-length Christian fiction audiobooks just for you. And the sponsor for this season of the Unabridged Podcast is is Blessing on the Run, which is also the audiobook you're going to listen to. So if you would like to listen to the entire audiobook at once, you can go to alonateri.com slash blessing to get your free audiobook copy. Or you can tune in right now for today's chapter of Blessing on the Run.
1: Chapter 23 So many thoughts are spinning around in my brain that it's quite possibly about to explode. Either that or I'm going to burst Damien's eardrums with all of my questions. Did you talk to Tyson? Did he say where they were? Do you know what he wants? Damien clutches the steering wheel. His voice is steady, but the veins are bulging out of his forearms. All he said was not to bring the police and come, just the two of us. There's something fishy about this whole thing. Maybe it's how he's glancing at me out of the corner of his eye, or the way he's cleared his throat three or four times. That's what he said? Just you and me? Damien deflates. No, he said no cops. Told me Tyson would get hurt if we let the authorities know what was going on. Okay. I wait for whatever else he hasn't told me yet, certain he doesn't want to get it out. Is my son injured? Am I going to the North End to pick up his crumpled, battered body? What else? I can't handle not knowing. Anything would be less torturous than this. He wants you to meet him there alone. I'm supposed to park the car three blocks away, give you directions, and just wait. I sigh with relief. That's all? Why couldn't he have told me that from the beginning? You're not going to meet this guy alone. I scoff. Oh, yes, I am. What Damien doesn't seem to remember is that it's my son's life on the line, not his. My son's captor says show up alone, unarmed, and without a single policeman in the state who knows where I'm headed? Fine. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Damien coughs awkwardly. I think maybe we should call that detective. He'll want to know what's going on. You touch your phone? I swear I'll make you drive this car right off the road. He must sense that I'm serious because he doesn't react. I reach into his pocket and pull out his cell. And don't think about calling anyone once I get out of the car, either. You don't know this guy like I do. We're doing this his way. He lets out his breath whatever you say. I glance at his phone, look at his most recent call. It's from a blocked number, of course. No helpful information. I still can't figure out why Jared wants us out here. If it had something to do with the bank, wouldn't he demand to meet there? Now that I think about it, wouldn't Christmas Day be the perfect time to pull off a heist? Streets are empty, security's probably nothing but skeleton staff, and workers with lower seniority. So why are we going all the way out to the North End? What exactly did he say on the phone? I've asked this same question multiple times, but Damien doesn't seem to understand that I want the transcript of what he heard, not the summary. He said I should park in front of some Whole Foods warehouse wait there, and you're supposed to go three blocks down. Don't tell me the directions, I bark. Tell me the words. Pretend I'm you and you're him and talk to me just like he talked to you. Use the same words. I don't remember the words. I want to scream in frustration. He can remember directions like Whole Foods Warehouse and three blocks down, but he doesn't know what was actually said to him. How am I supposed to know what Jared wants? How am I supposed to be prepared to help my son? I'm not bothered that Jared wants me to come alone. I just hope my boyfriend doesn't decide to audition for Superhero of the Year and try to save me. I know how to handle Jared, don't I? As we drive through the deserted streets, I think about the raid, the one that got Jared arrested the first time. It was just a few weeks after I turned 18. Unfortunate timing, since the cops and people from the state made such a big deal about how I was an adult living in a home full of prostituted minors. It's true I was the oldest of Jared's workers, and he often relied on me to prep the younger ones, let them know what was expected of them. Sometimes I had to be pretty harsh. They were scared of me, They didn't know it was for their own good. If I didn't get them ready and up to Jared's standards, he'd beat us both. What these girls didn't see is all the times I accepted the brunt of Jared's anger so he wouldn't take it out on them. I was especially careful to protect the preteens as much as possible. Unfortunately, protecting them sometimes meant I had to rough them up. What would life be like for them in the stable if everyone at home treated them like royalty and then they had to go out and face the customers? Jared was one of the more well-meaning pimps, if such a thing exists. He'd keep tabs on the customers who beat you too bad, and as long as you stayed on his good side, he wouldn't make you go back to them a second time. Looking back, it's strange how all of us in the stable— Sister wives, we sometimes called each other, were connected. On the one hand, each one of us had been told, sometimes on a daily basis and sometimes for years, that Jared loved us, that we were the most important person in his life, that as soon as we helped him earn enough money, he'd move us to a mansion in Hawaii or San Francisco or Paris or wherever it was we wanted to go, where we'd spend the rest of our lives in romantic bliss, just the two of us. So you can guess the ways in which we were all trying to outdo one another, prove our love to our captor. And you can guarantee he took advantage of that situation. "'Who wants to party with guys down at the construction site?' he'd ask." and we'd all either experienced firsthand or heard rumors about how rough that crowd was. So he'd look at you and say, What about you, blessing? And if you didn't act like he'd just done you the biggest favor in the world by singling you out, if you went so far as to roll your eyes or sigh or mention how bruised and beat up you'd gotten last time, he'd put his arms around your sister-wife and talk sweet to her like, That's okay if Blessing wants to be a little spoiled princess, isn't it? Because at least I can always count on my girl Mel, can't I? But then he'd be gone, out expanding his network or grooming his next victim. He always seemed to have four or five girls he was working at the same time, courting them, swearing his undying love, making them trust him before he sealed the deal and moved them into our stable. And at that point, we'd welcome the newcomer with as much sensitivity and compassion as one battered woman could offer another. Of course, a few of the sister wives were mean and stayed that way the entire time I knew them, but for the most part, we all pulled together, especially when Jared was away. Eventually, all of Jared's illegal activities caught up to him, The cops had been following him for a while, but took their sweet time making a move. I guess they needed to be sure they had enough evidence to stick. Otherwise, all they'd do is warn him off. He'd move us all or start a new stable somewhere else. And where would be the justice in that? Still, I wish the cops could have swarmed the house a few months earlier when I was still under age— when I would have been guaranteed to be viewed as a victim and not an accessory. Too late to change the past, though, isn't it? It was summer. I remember because we were earning enough money for Jared by then, I think there were fourteen or fifteen of us together at the time, that he'd moved us into a pretty nice house. Four-bedroom, big hot water tank, so we didn't have to ration our shower schedule all the time. Problem was, the A.C. wasn't working, and Jared was stressed out about this boxing match coming to town, and he was trying to get together enough girls for a huge party, so he didn't want to spend any extra expense fixing it. We were all lazy that afternoon. It was probably only two o'clock. Some of us were just waking up. Others had been awake, but we hadn't really done anything with our day yet. Jared had just gone out, who knows where to. None of us thought to ask, either. He came when he wanted, he left when he wanted, and he took whichever one of us he wanted. Looking back, maybe that's why we were so lazy, not just because of the heat. We'd literally lost the ability to think or make choices for ourselves. I'm the one who saw the man outside the window, He looked at me and put his finger over his mouth like he wanted me to be quiet. His eyes were kind. To this day, I can recall the compassion in his expression, like he knew everything I'd gone through, like he wanted to help me. He kept his finger to his lips until I nodded and showed him I understood. He pointed to the back door. Could I meet him? I shrugged. Jared would probably be gone for hours, busy as he was with the whole fight prep, so I told one of my sister-wives I was going to get a little fresh air, and I met the man out the back. He was shorter than I expected. He put his fingers to his lips again and led me several houses down. Given my profession at the time, you might think I expected him to be a client, but I was certain he wasn't. I knew how to spot a customer. They don't make eye contact, especially not with such tenderness in their gazes. So I wasn't scared of him. I was slightly worried about being caught, but our home was in a neighborhood with lots of alleyways, and I didn't think anyone from the house could see me. I'm Dominic. I'm here with the police department, the man told me, but his eyes stayed calm and gentle, so I didn't freak out too much. I don't want to get you in trouble, he added. To this day, I think he meant it. I seriously think he expected the legal system to treat me like it did the other miners who got rescued that night. If he thought I was a criminal, he wouldn't have spoken with such compassion. Dominic explained that they knew about Jared and how he was keeping us locked in his house. I had to correct him there. We were all free to leave, any one of us. The doors were never locked from the outside, the windows never barred to prevent our escape. What held us there were chains far more wicked and significantly stronger. Some of us stayed because we honestly thought Jared loved us. Others refused to run away because of all the threats about what he'd do to us or our families if we tried." Then there were girls like me, whose reasons involved a sick and pathetic combination of both. Dominic and I talked for five or ten minutes while he explained what he wanted me to do. Pull down the shades in the upstairs window when I got home, then raise it back up after Jared was in bed. He sometimes doesn't sleep until three or four in the morning, I warned. That's okay, Dominic answered. We'll be patient. And that's all. He didn't ask me to unlock any doors, give him any security codes, nothing. Just pull up the blinds once Jared was asleep. I guess I gave some important intel, too. Which room was his, where the bed was in relationship to the door, where all the girls slept. I answered each and every question like I was hypnotized. Maybe I was, Dominic's voice was so soothing and kind. He was the first man in my life, besides Carl, who looked at me like I was a real person. When we finished talking, right as I was about to turn away and go home, he set his hand on my shoulder. I couldn't believe this cop was actually touching me. Can I ask you a question? I shrugged. Sure. How did you get here? I mean, how did things end up like this for you? His expression was so pained and earnest, or else I might have laughed in his face, but he acted like he genuinely wanted to know. I sighed. Should I tell him about my step-cousin, Jared's niece who introduced me to him when I was all of ten years old? I couldn't tell him about the baby, about the secret that had bound me to him from the time I was in junior high. The cop's question haunted me as much as his eyes. I didn't have a single word to give him in reply. Chapter 24 We're at the North End now. I hate this part of town. All wharves and warehouses and industrial zones. There are so many tall buildings looming around us, Jared could have snipers hidden in two dozen different windows. Or maybe I've just watched too many action movies. Damien parks the car. You sure you want to do this, he asks, alone? I nod. Now that we're here, I think I could recognize my fear if I looked hard for it. But a mom will do anything for her kid, right? At least that's how it would be in an ideal world. Moms in an ideal world wouldn't abandon their babies in trash cans or let their boyfriends talk them into going to abortion clinics. Of course, in an ideal world, deranged ex-boyfriends wouldn't kidnap innocent children to start with. But that's beside the point. Damien takes my hand in his. I love you, he says. You know that, don't you? What's he doing? He's acting like he'll never see me again. Does he seriously think this is goodbye? Poor fool's watched even more action movies than I have. I give him a quick peck on the cheek. Be back soon. Wait. He tightens his grip. There's something I want to do first. He's staring at my hand, and for a second I'm afraid he wants to put my engagement ring back on. Like I said, horrible sense of timing but that's not it. Before you go, he clears his throat. If this is a new nervous habit he's picked up, I'll have to invest in some earplugs or something if we're going to stay together. I was just thinking, your parents pray all the time, right? So maybe, I don't know, maybe we could do something like that now. I let out my breath. Fine. I don't know why I'm being a drama queen about it, Maybe because now that we're here, I just want to find my son, take him with me, and go. But if Damien's got the itch to pray, who am I to stop him? You gonna start, or should I? He's blushing. My boyfriend is literally blushing. I don't really know what to say. It's sort of... Fine, I huff, and I race through a quick prayer. I'm not even thinking about the words. It's just... Help us get Tyson back. Please keep us all safe. Blah, blah, blah. I finish with amen and figure we're done. But then Damien assumes it's his turn. Hey, God, I'm really sorry I never learned how to do this too good when I was growing up. But I've seen the way Blessing's parents talk to you and think that once we become a family, it's what I want to learn to do better and teach Tyson to do better, too since maybe if he learns to pray like his grandparents do, maybe he won't get into all that trouble at school. Think that's okay to say? It takes me a second to realize he's directing this question at me, so I nod my head and let him get back at it. The sooner he finishes up, the sooner I can find my son. And, well, I think it's pretty neat hearing things about you at Christmas. It's not stuff I've thought about before. I can't even. Is he going to just ramble on all day? But, you know, last night me and Carl got to talking, and a lot of what he said made sense. How we've all done things we're ashamed of, but you can forgive us when we ask you. Yep, that's exactly what he's planning to do. So anyway, there's lots of things I guess I need you to forgive me for. Like when I lie and say I don't got any small bills on me and can't make change for my deliveries. Or when I go out with my buddies and have a few too many. And then that time when I, I can't even, tell you what, I snap. You finish talking to God here, I'm going to go get my son back. Wait, he says, you sure you don't want me to ask God to protect you? I was getting to that, you know. It's just your dad made it out like the forgiveness stuff had to happen first, and I wanted to do it all in the right order. I'm sure it's fine either way. I have no idea if what I've just said is biblically accurate or not, but I don't care. I make sure I've got both phones in my pocket, his and mine. I glance around to make sure I know which way I'm supposed to go, and I plow ahead, ready to find my son.
0: Alana Terry here. I hope you enjoyed today's installment of Blessing on the Run. Please don't forget that you can listen to the entire audiobook of Blessing on the Run when you purchase it from Audible or wherever it is that you like to listen to digital audiobooks, or you can go to alanaterry.com blessing to download your free copy. Thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you soon.